Collaborate for a greener future at the Bloomberg Green Festival, a groundbreaking celebration of the thinkers, doers, and innovators leading the way. From design and culture to technology, science, and entertainment. Hear from inspirational speakers and immerse yourself in climate solutions, July 10th through 13th in Seattle. Title sponsor, Amazon. Official airline, Alaska Airlines. Get 20% off using promo code RADIO20 at BloombergLive.com slash Green Festival. Live from our nation's capital. This budget thing is going to do nothing. Space Force, I still think it's interesting. President Trump not playing his cards yet. Headlines, policy, and politics colliding. Bloomberg, sound on. The insiders, the influencers, the insights. I would rather see a congressional solution. It's part of my DNA. The Senate map in 2020 looks a lot different than it looked in 2018. You really have a divide within Team Trump. The president has to do exactly what people sent him here to do, which is to get it done. This is Bloomberg, sound on. With Kevin Cirilli, live from the Democratic presidential debate in Westerville, Ohio, on Bloomberg Radio. I'm Kevin Cirilli, Chief Washington Correspondent for Bloomberg Television and Bloomberg Radio. I'm still here in Westerville, Ohio, where we are picking up the pieces from the fourth Democratic presidential debate. Meanwhile, President Trump continued to be under fire, not over the impeachment, but over Syria. Speaker of the House Nancy Pelosi says that Democrats left the Syria meeting after President Trump, quote, meltdown. We've got two all-stars to help us navigate through. Max Burns, Democratic strategist, senior contributor at Millennial Politics, and Julie Rajinsky. She's Democratic strategist as well. They're in New York City. We're going to get to the debate, but the big story tonight is Speaker of the House and other Democrats, Nancy Pelosi, meeting with President Trump with regards to Syria earlier today at the White House. House Speaker Nancy Pelosi saying this afternoon that President Trump uh, saying that President Trump appeared to be quote-unquote shaken by the fact that 129 Republican lawmakers voted earlier today for a resolution rebuking the president for withdrawing U.S. forces from Syria and that he had a quote-unquote meltdown and Pelosi, Schumer, Sawyer, they walked out. They walked out of the meeting. President Trump, for his part, defending his decision to abruptly pull forces, U.S. forces from Syria and rejecting criticism from key Republican supporters in Congress that he abandoned Kurdish allies and allowed Russia to fill the void. Our team in Washington, D.C., Justin Singh, Jennifer DeLuey, as well as Joe Sobchak, holding down the fort, covering this story from every angle. I'm joined by two prominent Democratic strategists to help us sort through what Democrats are saying tonight with regards to this meeting gone awry at the White House with Pelosi, Trump, and Schumer. Julie Raginsky, as well as Max Rose. Julie, I'll start with you. Speaker Pelosi walking out of the meeting earlier today with President Trump on foreign policy. What do you say to folks who say, you know what? Get them all in a room and figure this out. Well, first and foremost, the president uh, decided to insult Nancy Pelosi, apparently, and started calling her a third-read politician. That's not how you get anything done. I mean, if I decide to get get into a negotiation with you or I decide to have a conversation with you, I don't resort to name-calling and taunting because once you start with that, you realize that you're not really an honest broker in trying to get anything done. What you're trying to do is engage in some sort of prepubescent back and forth that my second grader would be in trouble if he ever tried to engage in. So when you're looking at it from that perspective, you're not dealing with a well man. I mean, I I hate to say this, and I don't say this lightly, 
But it, it has become more and more apparent that the president is is flailing. He doesn't have a strategy. Uh, he doesn't really have anybody that he's listening to, whether it's his military um, uh, advisors or his supporters in, in the Senate, like Lindsey Graham, for example, or, or Mitt Romney, or, or name it. I mean, most Republicans in the Senate who haven't totally caved on this issue. Uh, it's it's very hard to have a conversation with somebody like that. And I think it would be better, time would be better spent for the Republicans and maybe not Chuck Schumer and Nancy Pelosi, who whom the president politicizes all the time, to, to really sit with the president, explain to him the ramifications of this, and hopefully get him to a point where he can have an adult, earnest discussion with, with either side of the aisle about this. All right, so, so let's first hear from Senate Minority Leader Chuck Schumer, who spoke after this meeting with President Trump when they were at the White House, along with other House Democrats, including Speaker of the House Nancy Pelosi, about the issue of the president's decision to withdraw troops from northern Syria last week. Take a listen to Senate Minority Leader Chuck Schumer. He was insulting, particularly to the Speaker. She kept her cool completely, but he called her a third-rate politician. So you have now uh, the, the details trickling out with regards to how the president conducting himself w- during this meeting. Uh, and, you know, meanwhile, you've got the president not just at odds with with Democrats, but also with Republicans. And he was asked about this at a press conference at the White House earlier today, most notably With regards to Senator Lindsey Graham, a Republican from South Carolina who has called President Trump's decision, quote, an utter national security disaster in the making. I mean, they're not mincing words, folks. Take a listen to what President Trump said at the White House earlier today. He criticized Senator Lindsey Graham and saying that the people of South Carolina want to see those troops come home. And I want an election based on that, end quote. Coming up, we're going to have more. Well, let's Max, what do you make of of this divide between President Trump and the Democrats, uh, Max? Oh, I'm as shocked, I think, as the president was to have Republicans actually standing up to him. That's not something we're used to seeing. The problem is, of course, the president makes a big play out of wanting the troops to come home. And it's something I think Americans support. But they're not coming home. They're being rerouted to Iraq. They're being rerouted into Kuwait. Uh, They're just being moved out of the way of Erdogan and Turkey, which is this problem that I don't think the president fully understands because his policies are essentially valueless. Uh, When you care about human rights or democracy promotion, you don't do these things. When you're just trying to make deals to get information to increase your personal edge, you'll cut a deal with anyone who's offering. And the, the confusion here is that Trump genuinely doesn't seem to realize that he's done something morally abhorrent. All right, coming up, we're going to talk much more policy and politics with Max Burns as well as Julie Virginsky. Download the Bloomberg Sound On podcast on Apple iTunes at Bloomberg.com or by downloading the Bloomberg Business app. You can also find us on Radio.com, iHeartRadio, and Spotify. I'm Kevin Cirilli, Chief Washington Correspondent for Bloomberg Television and Bloomberg Radio. I'm still in Ohio, folks. I'm coming back to Washington, D.C. tonight. Congrats to the Nationals. They are World Series bound. You're listening to Bloomberg 99.1. This is Sound On with Kevin Cirilli, live from the Democratic presidential debate in Westerville, Ohio, on Bloomberg Radio. 
I'm Kevin Cirilli, Chief Washington Correspondent for Bloomberg Television and Bloomberg Radio. So much to get through. So much to get through. We're going to talk about the debate coming up uh, with Julie Virginsky as well as Max Burns. They're two Democratic strategists. Uh, they're at our New York World Bloomberg headquarters. I'm still in Ohio. I come back to Washington, D.C. later this evening. But the big story tonight, folks, that Speaker Pelosi, Senate Minority Leader Chuck Schumer, storming out of the White House after, well, a terrible meeting with President Trump. They were talking about Syria. Take a listen to what Speaker Nancy Pelosi said after this meeting with President Trump. We witnessed on the part of the president was a meltdown. Sad to say. A meltdown, Max. So, so I, I, I mean, I'm not really sure where Democrats and Republicans and the president go from here on foreign policy. Well, there's just been a total shutdown of, of any kind of functional governance. The White House is not going to participate in any aspect of the impeachment. They're going to resist subpoenas until someone does something to compel them to turn over documents. What was so interesting in this meeting with Trump and Pelosi and Schumer is how many people he blamed for the situation at hand. He called General Mattis an idiot. He blamed the Turks. He blamed the Kurds. He blamed the Syrians. I blame Barack Obama, pretty much anyone except himself, which is where we all know this decision originated because he made very clear when he thought that this decision was genius that he should get all the credit for its success. So the credit has now come to his door. It just doesn't seem to be something he wants to accept right now. You know, it, it really is fascinating, Julie, because Speaker Pelosi now having to meet with President Trump in the middle as in the middle of an impeachment inquiry. Yesterday, she says in Washington, D.C., that she didn't have enough uh, as of now, not enough investigations to be complete for her to, to, to move forward with formal articles of impeachment. But by all indication, that's that's the direction she's heading in. And now she has this fiery, putting it mildly, fiery uh, meeting uh, with President Trump. But, but uh, you know, what do you say again to folks who are looking at this and saying that they need to get along uh, for, for the good of, of, of foreign policy, Julie? Well, I look at the Clinton impeachment. I'm old enough to remember when that happened. <laughs> um, Same. Sa sadly. And I remember uh, that the day after the articles of impeachment were uh, introduced against Bill Clinton, he went and met with the Senate majority leader, and the House as Speaker, New Gingrich, and proceeded to business as usual when it came to policy, right? The problem is you don't have a serious player as one of the top uh, two pillars of government. You have a serious legislative branch, and I suspect, uh, I would say this about Mitch McConnell, he's a serious man. I may not agree with him, but he's not a joke. You certainly have a serious speaker. And then you have the president of the United States who, who literally has meltdowns like a child and can't function. And so when you get to that level a vitriol, how do you deal with somebody like this? How do you get along with somebody like this? There's no point in getting along with somebody who says he wants to stop endless wars, and then lo and behold, we have 14,000 more troops in the region in the Middle East since May than we had before. Here's, I mean, some, here's some more from... Uh, go ahead, no, finish your thought. Well, no, my, my, only, my only contention here is that you, you can't have a discussion with somebody who can't fundamentally have an intellectual policy discussion because he's not interested in one. And that, that becomes problematic. I don't care which party you belong to. Let's hear from more of Speaker Pelosi and, and, and uh, Leader Schumer. Here, here they are. He said the communists 
are taking or some of ISIS were communists, communists and, and you would be happy. That might make you happy. That might make you happy. No, and the speaker said, yes. "None of us. Yes, we walked out." Yeah. At that point, no. At the point that he was when he started calling. Speaker Pelosi, a third-rate politician. Which I said, I wish you were a politician, Mr. President, then you would know the art of the possible. Wow. Wow, Max. I just can't imagine voters at, sitting at home in, in Iowa and New Hampshire. Are, Ohio, are, where I am. Don't forget Ohio. Or Ohio. We can't forget Ohio. Are, are even paying attention to this at this level. This is the consummate sort of insider turf war. I think what actually fascinating that what, you're saying that. Go ahead. Yeah, yeah, keep going. I think what gets more attention here is uh, this letter that Trump sent to President Erdogan in Turkey that reads like a fifth grader wrote it. <laughs> says calls him the devil. Says don't be an idiot. Make a good deal. You want people to like you. Uh, it's this sort of need to to control the narrative and the idea that everyone is playing on that same cynical level as Donald Trump that's ultimately going to hurt him with voters. And the the struggle here is how do Democrats boil this sort of complex foreign policy issue down into talking points that voters can inherently understand uh, President Trump's decision-making is weakening the United States. You know, you mentioned this letter, this letter which President Trump sent to President Erdogan on October 9th in which he writes in this letter, quote, history will look upon you forever as the devil if good things don't happen. Don't be a tough guy. Don't be a fool. I will call you later. That's his letter to the President uh, Erdogan, the president of Turkey. And then, well, the developments of the past week and a half are on record. The president decides to withdraw troops from northern Syria uh, much to the dismay of Kurdish allies, much to the pushback from Democrats as well as from Republicans, because the president or the, these folks rather, excuse me, these folks rather were concerned that President Erdogan of Turkey would move in in northern Syria, move in on the Kurdish allies. Speak, uh, Senator Lindsey Graham, a Republican from South Carolina, really has emerged as one of the top Republicans pushing back against this White House. And now we I, I'm told by KO that we do have that sot, that soundbite sot of the president responding today to a reporter's question from uh, reporters at the White House to respond to what Senator Graham has attacked him for. Take a listen to President Trump's response uh, to Republicans. Lindsey Graham would like to stay in the Middle East for the next thousand years with thousands of soldiers and fighting other people's wars. I want to get out of the Middle East. I think Lindsay should focus right now on judiciary. Wow. Uh, so this is a president today who has gone to political battle with Senator Lindsey Graham, gone to political battle uh, with uh, House Speaker Nancy Pelosi and Senate Minority Leader Chuck Schumer. And we get word of this letter that he had sent to uh, to. Uh, President Erdogan of Turkey. It, it is absolutely fascinating, folks, just to see this. Uh, Hagar Shamali is going to be joining us later on uh, to give her insight. She, of course, is one of our uh, foreign policy experts on Bloomberg Sound On. She has served uh, in both Republican and Democratic administrators administrations, uh, so it'll be great to get her take. Coming up, we talk politics. We talk the state of the 2020 race. Max Burns is stays, as does uh, Julie Rajinsky. I'm Kevin Cirilli, 
download the Bloomberg Sound On podcast on Apple iTunes at Bloomberg.com or by downloading the Bloomberg Business app. You can also find us on Radio.com, iHeartRadio, and Spotify. You're listening to Bloomberg 99.1. Hi, I'm Ron Krzyzewski, Chairman and CEO of Stiefel. Financial advisors, if you're not growing your practice, you're losing market share. Stiefel is a growing, entrepreneurial, advisor-centric firm built for successful advisors like you. Imagine having the resources of the largest wirehouses and the support of the boutique shops, but none of the bureaucracy to get in the way of you serving your clients. At Stiefel, it's your business, your book, your clients. I always tell the advisors we're recruiting, I want you to come to Stiefel and double or triple your business. Most of them laugh and shake their heads, but I'm serious. Don't take it from me. Take it from Stiefel's number one finish in J.D. Power's 2023 U.S. Financial Advisor Satisfaction Study. So, there's a reason why 148 financial advisors joined Stiefel last year. Come join us and find out why Stiefel is the firm where success meets success. Visit www.choosestifel.com. Stiefel Nicholas and Company Incorporated, member SIPC and NYSE. You're listening to Bloomberg Sound On with Kevin Cirilli on Bloomberg 99.1 and 105.7 FM HD2. In Westerville, Ohio, it's cold and damp and rainy, but hey, we have gratitude and we are plowing through it. I'm Kevin Cirilli, Chief Washington Correspondent for Bloomberg Television and Bloomberg Radio. I've been in Ohio for the past couple of days covering the fourth Democratic presidential debate, and I'm so excited and grateful to have Max Burns, Democratic strategist, as well as Julie Rajinsky, another Democratic strategist, to help us sort through the noise, sort through all of the noise and the chatter of last night's debate. All right, let's start with Hunter Biden. Max, I want to play for you what pre- what what former Vice President Joe Biden had to say about his son during last night's debate. Take a listen. I did my job. I never discussed a single thing with my son about anything having to do with Ukraine. No one has indicated I have. We've always kept everything separate. Even when my son was the attorney general of the state of Delaware, we never discussed anything. So there'd be no potential conflict. Why? So he says he's not going to allow, if he's president of the United States, for his son, Hunter Biden, to serve on any international boards. Hunter Biden came out and said that in that interview that aired on ABC earlier this week. But why was it allowed? This is what I don't understand, Max. Why was it allowed when he was vice president? Well, that's the thing, isn't it? The real answer to this is to actually propose an ethics law similar to how we treat <coughs> lobbyists that prevent them from going directly into lobbying or lobbyists directly into consulting with the government uh, to actually prevent this kind of thing, because we've seen it not just with Hunter Biden. We've seen it with the Trumps on a grand scale, mixing business and politics. We've seen it going back through the Bush family. We've seen it all the way through the Kennedys. Uh, this is something that uh, that needs to be addressed through an actual but why didn't he, but so, but But how does Joe Biden, who now, yes, he's still a front runner, but there's other front runners. How, did he, how does he respond to the question, okay, you're saying you're not going to do it as president, but why did you do it as vice president? He was asked point blank this last night by Anderson Cooper and, and dodged the question. I mean, does he have to give an answer on this precisely for why it was allowed when he was vice president? I'm not sure he has a good answer. I think it was it was <laughs> that's, admirable. Maybe that's the truth. If you don't have an answer, you can't answer it. Go ahead, Max. I, it's admirable, I think, of Democrats to stand up together like this and say, you know, we're not going to lean into this bogus story. Uh, and, and Anderson Cooper was very clear that this was a story that was fabricated by the president, 
that they're chasing conspiracy theories. But unlike with with Hillary Clinton and the email server and how everybody got worked up about that, I think Democrats have gotten smarter and we're not going to be the public relations amplifier for these right wing conspiracy but, theories. But 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 it, look, no one is alleging that there was an illegality done. But Julie Rajinsky, is it not a fair question for when you ask one of the front runners of the race, you say you're not going to do something as president, that your son is not going to be on boards, not on international boards, uh, but you did it when 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 you were vice president. I, I, that to me feels like a totally fair question. And we're going to talk about Warren and taxes in just a second. But on Joe Biden in particular, I'm pretty stunned at that debate last night that he didn't have an answer for that. Well, I think Max is right. There really is no good answer. I mean, bottom line is that he shouldn't have done it. And uh, no more than Ivanka Trump and Jared Kushner should be making tens of millions of dollars uh, while they're working in the White House. No more than Ivanka Trump's business should have gotten patent after patent from China after she and the president dined with the Chinese premier. No more than the Trump boys are making tons of money for the Trump organization from foreign governments and, and taxpayers are paying for their trips all over the world in, def- in, in support of the Trump organization business model. So, uh, you know, Max is absolutely right. We need to have an ethical structure where families no longer can afford to profit in one way, shape, any way, shape, or form off of other family members who are in government. And, and if you don't want to have your hands tied by the fact that your father is the president or the vice president, you have one of two choices. Either your father or mother doesn't run for office and you can go ahead and make money or you have to buy by these rules. It's as simple as that. We're talking with Julie Virginsky and we're talking with Max Burns, two Democratic strategists trying to sort through the fourth Democratic presidential debate. You know, I, I don't think this is this is the end of the road uh, for for this story. I was in the spin room last night. Uh, the Biden campaign put out Simone Sanders, put out uh, Kate Bedingfield, one of the, the spokesperson for the campaign and Senator Chris Coons a Democrat from Massachusetts, and and they were out in full force in that spin room. I believe it was one of the first times that they've uh, put out such prominent uh, campaign staffers in the spin room of their debate. They've had surrogates before, but no one at the senior level. I was struck by that. I was struck by the New York Times story that came out with regards to how little, really, cash on hand they have, $9 million, $9 million, little. Imagine, folks. Uh, But I don't know. I mean, it feels, Max, as if... He might not be going down in the polls, but other people are surging. Yeah, and Elizabeth Warren has really made the case uh, over the last few months that she's one of the few consistently growing, not just in national polls, but if you look at South Carolina, for example, she's almost doubled her proportion of African-American voters, which is really what Joe Biden's considered his firewall. And it's reached the point now where... uh, This Biden campaign is corroding away at such speed that they're publicly saying they may not contest (laughs) Iowa, New Hampshire or Nevada and put all of their eggs into South Carolina. The the challenge is, you know, uh, Jeb Bush, Hillary Clinton have all tried that strategy as well. The last one, I think, that tried to do it in a primary was Rudy Giuliani, and that didn't end so favorably for him. Uh, so the challenge is, you know, how do you convince uh, the voters that you are a viable candidate when your inevitability argument has cracked right down the middle? You know, it, it is very interesting uh, just to see how quickly Senator Warren has uh, risen 
uh, and really now emerged as a front runner. I, Julia, I mean, she was taking it from all sides last night. I mean, truthfully, everybody going after her. But she also dodged a question, and she's dodged this question several times, which is, will you raise taxes on middle-class uh, Americans with Medicare for All? Take a listen to how she responded to this when asked if taxes are going to go up for the middle class if uh, her Medicare for All becomes law. Here she is. Let me be clear on this. Costs will go up for the wealthy. They will go up for big corporations and for middle class families. They will go down. I will not sign a bill into law that does not lower costs for middle class families. So she she says, let me be clear on this. Costs will go up uh, for 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 the wealthy. But. I mean, she didn't answer, Julie, the exchange or the question, which is, will taxes go up? And I, I, I mean, maybe it doesn't matter as much in a Democratic primary, though I still think it, it, it could matter when you talk to voters. It definitely matters in a general election, no? Well, it's a masterful answer because she's <laughs> I essential. I don't know if it is masterful. I'll, I'll tell you why it, it is a masterful like a answer. a dodge, though. Well, you know, uh, the masterful an- part of this is that people look at their costs, quote unquote, in the aggregate. And if you're paying more in taxes but less in overall costs, which is what she's arguing, then I guess you have more money left over for other priorities other than health care. And that's her contention. And she's going to have to be much clearer about that. Um, and she will be, I'm sure, when she's pressed on it. But look, Elizabeth Warren had, it, as you said, incoming from all sides. And she was able to parry it in a very, very good way. I mean, her numbers, I don't think, would take a dent after that debate performance. In fact, she probably grew part of her share, I suspect, at Bernie Sanders' expense after that performance. Um, But to the point of Joe Biden, I think there's an opportunity for people like Pete Buttigieg, uh, Cory Booker, Kamala Harris, they're running out of time to some extent, but to take that quote-unquote moderate wing of the party that is somewhat concerned about a Biden, or excuse me, about a Warren candidacy, or, or Sanders candidacy, they have an opportunity to now take part of that Biden support for themselves because Joe Biden's performance yesterday I didn't think was very strong. I didn't think he allayed any fears about his uh, ability to take on the president in a general election debate. And that's what Democrats are looking for. I think generally what Democrats are looking for this time is not a purity test. They're looking for the best possible candidate to take it to the president. Julie Virginsky, Democratic strategist, mentioning South Bend Mayor Pete Buttigieg and that exchange. Max, I, uh, I was really struck by the exchange that Buttigieg had with Elizabeth Warren, pressing her on how to pay for her plans. Here's the exchange. I will not sign a bill into law that does not lower costs for middle class families. Mayor Buttigieg, you say Senator Warren has been, quote, evasive about how she's going to pay for Medicare for all. What's your response? Well, we heard it tonight. A yes or no question that didn't get a yes or no answer. So, Max, how do you think Buttigieg did last night? Is he is he successfully portraying himself as the alternative to Biden? I think Pete Buttigieg is what Joe Biden thinks that he is, but can't quite (laughs) execute on. I mean, here you have Buttigieg, and he's message tested this line for the past few weeks in speeches and in interviews, but it still hits this idea that he's proposing largely a similar approach that is voluntary Medicare. And people have, I think, valid criticisms of Buttigieg's plan, but he does hit that mark of saying, you know, what good is policy without the numbers behind it? And he's hitting this pragmatic line so aggressively. 
that I, it's finally starting to pay off, I think. And you see that not only in how durable his numbers have been, but his fundraising as well. He has the money to stay in uh, even at 5 or 6 or 7% to see how this shakes out when Joe Biden and the rest of the field have to eventually wind their campaigns up. It's a marathon, not a sprint. It's a marathon, not a sprint. Coming up, Hagar Shamali, our foreign policy expert, comes uh, calls in to tell us what to make of the disastrous meeting between President Trump and Speaker Pelosi and sentiment hearted leader Chuck Schumer at the White House today over the president's decision to withdraw troops from northern Syria. Panel stays. Julie Virginsky, Democratic strategist. Max Burns, Democratic strategist. Download the Bloomberg Sound On podcast on Apple iTunes at Bloomberg.com or by downloading the Bloomberg Business app. You can also find us on Radio.com, iHeartRadio, and Spotify. I'm Kevin Cirilli, Chief Washington Correspondent for Bloomberg Television and Bloomberg Radio. You're listening to Bloomberg 99.1. You're listening to Bloomberg Sound On with Kevin Cirilli on Bloomberg 99.1 and 105.7 FM HD2. Chin up, folks. You're almost to Friday and the Nationals are in the World Series. I'm Kevin Cirilli, Chief Washington Correspondent for Bloomberg Television and Bloomberg Radio. I've been covering the debate for the past couple of days and I'm here in Columbus, Ohio. I head back to Washington literally right after we get off Air. Joining me on the phone to discuss the lead story of the day, Hagar Shamali. She is the former director of communications and spokesperson for the U.S. mission to the U.N. She's also the founder and CEO of Greenwich Media Strategies. And if that weren't enough, she was also the NSC director for Syria and Lebanon between 2010 and 2012. Hagar, thank you so much for calling in. I know you have a busy schedule today, but this meeting between Democrats storming out of the White House with President Trump has really caused, for lack of, I mean, it's really caused a lot of questions. Uh, how would you gauge where things are with President Trump uh, and his decision to withdraw troops from northern Syria? Well, listen, I wish I could have been there in person to talk about this issue. Um, I feel really strongly about it, as you know, given my background on this. You know, this is we are in a situation where we caused this mess. We, the United States. And let me tell you, for years, for the eight years of violence that have been that have taken place in Syria, any time anybody pointed the finger at the United States, I was the first one out there to say, no, this is President Assad's fault of Syria. He is the one who caused this. If he hadn't responded to protests the way he had with violence, we wouldn't have had the situation we have. But but I need to be clear that the situation that you have now in northern Syria is entirely the fault of the United States. And that is very hard to swallow when a decision like that has such an effect on people's lives, right? You're talking about people who live there, uh, not only just people who live there, Kurds, Christians, Syrians, but also the Kurds who are an ethnic group that live in that area. Um, we, they were our allies. We partnered with them in the, in, in the fight against ISIS, and they are a large reason why we were successful in defeating ISIS. And so, you know, there are all sorts of issues with this, but I, I've heard from a lot of my sources in the government that there is an awareness at the senior level, and I don't know if that includes the president, I'm, I'm not sure, but at the senior level uh, political appointees in different agencies, that we are the reason that, you know, that we did cause this, and that the sanctions that were rolled out on Monday, uh, you know, that there's an awareness that these are sanctions against Turkish behavior that we essentially condoned, or that the president condoned. Um, 
And so what happened in the meeting between President Trump and Speaker Pelosi and Senator Schumer to me reveals that perhaps President Trump is a little bit aware, too. Right. I, I mean, I, he doesn't seem like the most flexible person. And I think that he was probably in denial. I mean, he says that he didn't green light any kind of Turkish behavior. And maybe he didn't realize he greenlighted it, but he did. Um, and so perhaps it, it fell apart because because things are, you know, he is maybe realizing that. Now, that is a speculation of mine, um, but it's clear they couldn't come to much of an agreement. And I have to say the resolution condemning Trump's decision uh, that came out of the House doesn't do much at this point. It's just too little too late. Agar Shamali's on the line. She was the NSC director for Syria and Lebanon between 2010 and 2012. Hagar, I'm so grateful uh, for you to call in and, and help us navigate this. Max Burns, as well as Julie Virginsky, are joining us from New York City, Bloomberg's world headquarters. All right, now I got to get what's on each of the three of your radars. Hagar, let me start with you. Obviously, I know, I know Syria is on your radar, but what else is on your radar? <laughs> you know, I am distraught a little bit over the process, uh, the national security and foreign policy process that you're seeing at the White House. We are getting an inside look, given the news that has broken about Giuliani's efforts to use and, and exploit national security processes for his own or for political gain. And that's hard to see. I mean, it's hard to watch, I think, not just for me, but for any national security professional. Um, there were reasons for ethics rules and reasons why uh, political appointees do not control usually foreign policy and national security uh, efforts. It's usually handled by by experts and, and, and long career professionals. Um, and so that's at the top of my mind. I'm really worried about it because when you see divisions like that, our adversaries take note and they take advantage. Um, and, you know, that goes back to the point of Turkey. The reason Turkey, uh, the Turkish prime minister, reached out to Trump to uh, ask for him to re- withdraw his troops was because he saw the divisions and he saw that both right. had left. So, right. you know, it's that's why. That's what's on my mind. All right. Hagar Shamali, thank you so much. She's the former NSC director for Syria and Lebanon between 2010 and 2012. Quickly, we got less than two minutes. So, Max, quickly, what's on your radar? I'm looking at China, not only what's happening in Hong Kong right now, but also as we're seeing China starting to flex its muscle in using its market power to silence criticism from Americans like the NBA, like Activision Blizzard, the video game company. Yeah. And that's that's something that should concern everybody regardless of party. I'm still surprised that they're not talking more about trade policy at the debates. Julie, what's on your radar? I'm looking at the Republicans, and at which point do they say that Trump's uh, rhetoric, like the PKK, the the Kurds, are a bigger terroristic threat to us than ISIS? Uh, His entire Syria policy and his foreign policy generally, the Ukraine debacle, at which point do they say that enough is enough and they start acting like it, not just talking about it publicly, but saying to the president, look, we've had your back all along here in the Senate, and unless you actually fall into line as a reasonable human being when it comes to our foreign policy, yeah, we're not going to be we're, we're not going to be enabling you anymore. You know, issues. Max stole what's on my radar. It's the first time this has happened, folks. But President Trump said a trade deal with China probably will not happen until he meets with Chinese President Xi Jinping next month in Chile. That does it for me. It does it for the panel. Thank you to our esteemed guests, Julie Virginsky, Max Burns, two prominent Democratic strategists, as well as to Hagar Shamali for helping us sort through a dizzying day of news. Thank you also uh, to our wonderful hosts here, where I am in Ohio. I want to thank Greg Savaldi. He's the Director of Engineering uh, at iHeartMedia here in Columbus, Ohio. I'm Kevin Cirilli, Chief Washington Correspondent for Bloomberg TV and Bloomberg Radio. Headed back to D.C. tonight, folks. Go Nats! I'm now a Nats fan. See that, Washington? It happened. 
Thanks for listening to Bloomberg 99.1. Collaborate for a greener future at the Bloomberg Green Festival, a groundbreaking celebration of the thinkers, doers, and innovators leading the way. From design and culture to technology, science, and entertainment. Hear from inspirational speakers and immerse yourself in climate solutions, July 10th through 13th in Seattle. Title sponsor, Amazon. Official airline, Alaska Airlines. Get 20% off using promo code RADIO20 at BloombergLive.com slash Green Festival.